We welcome all of our new online listeners. Hi, my name is Dr. Stephen Finney, the hosting pastor of XL Church in IOM America. XL represents Exchange Life. Our church is an outreach of IOM America. Everything we do sits upon the pedestal of compassion. So let's get started. Enjoy the worship, illustrative videos, prayer, and weekly message. Psalm 22 verse 3 promises that God will be enthroned on the praises of His people.
Thank you for joining us in our eschatology series, Unfolding the Power of Prophecy. It's also known as the 220 Revelation series. Today we're on number 46, and it's called The Man-Child. Let's review a couple of facts before we truly get started in our message today. In spite of all of Satan's relentless efforts through the generations to prevent it, the woman, Israel, indeed did give birth to the man-child. The incarnation of the man-child, of course, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh. That's in Romans chapter 1, verse 3. Mentioned again in chapter 9, verse 5. And according to Isaiah seven fourteen, it says, was the fulfillment of the prophecy. Here's a fact. Israel brought forth the Messiah. Another fact. The word of God emphasizes that Jesus was the Jewish lineage himself. He was born of Abraham, according to Matthew 1, verse 1, a member of the tribe of Judah. That's stated in Genesis 49, 10. And a descendant of David. Again, it is stated in Matthew 1, verse 1. We need to keep in mind here that Satan will not be able to hinder Christ's coronation. He will rule all the nations with an iron Rod, during his earthly millennial kingdom reign. According to Psalms chapter 2 verses 7 through 9, it clearly indicates that this rule is a breaking, a shattering work of judgment. 
In fact, in the organic text, the verb that is used here carries a connotation of destroy. Messiah will indeed come and destroy all the nations, according to chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. And in His kingdom, have domain over the nations that enter to populate that kingdom. The iron rod is also one that cannot be broken, just as all of Satan's past efforts to hinder Christ have failed. So also will his future efforts fail. The phrase "rod of iron" speaks of the resoluteness of Christ's rule. He will swiftly and immediately judge all sin and put down any rebellions. Between Christ's incarnation and his coronation came his exaltation, when he was caught up with God and to his throne at his ascension. Jesus Christ's exaltation signifies the Father's acceptance of His work of redemption, according to Hebrew one verse three. Satan could not stop Christ from accomplishing redemption, and therefore being exalted to the right hand of the Father as a perfect Savior. In his sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter declared, quote, "God raised Christ up again." Putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. That's found in Acts two, verse twenty-four. But through his defeated foe, Satan will not believe me. He will not give up. Unable to stop Christ's birth, ascension, or rule, Satan will assault his people. Relentlessly until this final hour that we will be speaking of in our message today, Satan has already instigated the genealogical massacre of the Jews in Europe, as well as the death of countless thousands throughout history. During the tribulation, Satan will increase his efforts to destroy the Jewish people. Now, keep in mind, I am referring to the true, authentic Jewish people. Not the fake Christians that are being referenced in the Book of Revelation. That is why we need to take special care of our passage today, because it discloses the methodology that Christ is going to use to separate the fake Jews from the real ones, the 144,000 pure bloodline Jews. The closer we get to this mark. In the Book of Revelation, Satan will increase his efforts to destroy the Jewish people, so that the nation cannot be saved, as the Bible promises. Take a few moments sometime and look up Zechariah chapter twelve, verses ten, all the way through chapter thirteen, verse one, and you'll discover some of the facts in the Old Testament that we are referencing today in the Book of Revelation. Let's review our scripture for today. It's out of Revelation chapter twelve, verses five and six. It says, "And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod iron. And her child was caught up to God, and to His throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God." So that there, 
she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Folks, that is three and a half years. Let's take a look at our birthing the second coming. And Israel gave birth to none other than Jesus Christ. Now, listen carefully. Israel gave birth to none other than Jesus Christ. Although in this particular revelation we're referencing today, it is the second coming. Yes, it's true, Mary gave birth to the first coming, but our passage is revealing the second coming. And that's why it is Israel herself must bring birth to the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's to rule all nations with an iron rod. We, the church, the bride, will reign with him. But he will be the king of kings and lord of lords at this point in the prophecy. He will rule with an iron rod. And we will reign with him as he sits on the throne of David. The exact place of the original Holy of Holies. Presently sitting under the Dome of the Rock. The woman Israel fled to the wilderness where she will hide in a place that God has prepared for her. She will be, as usual, well taken care of for the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. Most Christians freak out when they think about the last three and a half years of Satan's rule. Well, worry not. God is in full protective mode by this point. The Bride of Christ was already raptured up at the beginning of the first three and a half year reign of the Antichrist. When these horrific things occur, the children of God will have front row seats in the skybox of heaven. Remember as we go through this passage... We were raptured out before the first three and a half years of the tribulation started. Reviewing the first time around for Christ, from the physical birth of Jesus to the release and to ministry, was 30 years. And from the start of his ministry to the ascension was exactly three and a half years. As usual, God keeps his numeric coding and communication intact here. In the first half of the tribulation, there will be peace, peace. And the second half will be hell on wheels. The parallel of Jesus' first coming was for peace on earth. The second coming of Jesus is a bit different. His next arrival will be for judgment and revenge. That's why the scriptures clearly reveal to us that he will come with fire in his eyes. And he will be dressed in complete royalty. And he will be ready for war. Those who are hunting for Jesus, who is filled with peace and prosperity, will be quite surprised. It is this seeking that Satan takes advantage of. The emergent, feel-good Christians will be hunting for a Mr. Nice Guy, a Jesus type, and they will find one but it will not be the authentic Jesus Christ. It will be a replicator, Satan, dressed as an antichrist in sheep clothing. 
who will be more than willing to offer peace, peace to the entire world. About halfway through this fake peace period, the tide begins to turn. Satan turns to destroy all of those who are not of a Jewish descent. Now keep in mind that there are two types of Jews that are going to be represented in the tribulation period. The fake Jews that is referenced in the book of Revelation and the real authentic bloodline Jews, which if you remember is that 144,000 pure bloodline Jews. During that separation is why Israel is forced to flee into a prepared place in the wilderness one more time. Let's talk about the abomination of desolation. What about this wilderness that is being referenced in our passage? As in the first exile release, God sent them into the wilderness devoid of natural resources. This was to create a complete dependence on him. Israel will be cared for by her leading man. Of course, that's God the Father. He will feed her most likely in the same manner as he did in the early days. If you remember, that's through manna and quail from heaven. This will be the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's abomination of desolation, and certainly the fulfilling of Jesus' words. Here's what he said. Therefore, when you see abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the leader understand. Then those who are in Judah must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get things out of their house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get their cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babes in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, and there he is, do not Believe him. That's right out of Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 23. The abomination of desolation is a Hebrew expression, meaning an abominable offense or hateful destroyer. The abomination of desolation means the global Roman army, as it was explained by Luke in chapter 21, verse 20, the Roman, or global, army is further called the abomination, based on the emperor's images. The eagles were carried in front of the legions and regarded by the Romans with their divine honors. The meaning of this is when you see the one world armies standing in the holy city or encamped around the newly rebuilt tabernacle, temple, or the Roman world signs, or standards in the temple. Then the authentic bloodline Jews will know that the end is come. 
and should seek a place of safety. Destruction would visit the city and extend to the surrounding parts of Judah. These mountains Jesus is referring to have been a favorite place of refuge throughout the ages for robbers and men of God alike. Many scholars believe this place of prepared wilderness will once again be Petra, the city of rock. Many Western Christians don't realize this, but the rock that Moses struck over 5,000 years ago is still springing forth water at Petra's base. That rock was and still is symbolic of Christ, and the water flowing out of that rock is the Holy Spirit. That is why Moses was not granted entrance into the Canaan land, for he struck the rock, he struck Christ, instead of speaking to it or speaking to him. But the key thing to keep in mind here is the Hebrew word for water in this passage is living like the Holy Spirit. Looking at that great calamity, this calamity is going to happen so briskly that anyone who should be on the housetop when this calamity comes upon the city that they should flee without delay. They should not even take time to secure any possessions from their house. Things must be intense, not even to have five minutes to grab a few personal items for your journey. Worse yet, being in the field working and knowing that you can't even reach for your jacket. And those pregnant women, as the scripture states, pray for good weather. Jesus said in his own words that this tribulation, which means calamity or suffering, will consist of, quote, They shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles shall be fulfilled. The event will make the Jewish wars of 70 A.D. look like child's play. Josephus, a first-century Jewish historian of priestly and royal ancestry who recorded first-century Jewish history, said this about those days. He said, quote, All the calamities which had befallen any nation from the beginning of the world until now Rushing into the city, they slew whomever they found without distinction and burned the houses and all the people who had fled into them. And when they entered for the sake of plunder, they found whole families of dead persons and houses full of carcasses destroyed by famine. Then they came out with their hands empty, and though they thus pitied the dead, They had not the same emotion for the living, but killed all they met, whereby they filled the lanes with dead bodies. The whole city ran with blood, insomuch that many things which were burned were extinguished by the blood. This is how the horrible instance of the distress of Jerusalem is related by Josephus in the first Roman-led genocide. These were just birth pangs to what is coming 
in the end. Jesus says in this passage that unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. I say that is a difficult, horrid description of the times we're talking about in our passage. Let's look at don't believe everything you hear. During those most turbulent times, Jesus said, If any one of you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is. Do not believe him. People will be begging for someone, somewhere, to rescue and save them. Begging for a man with a plan. And guess who steps up? You guessed it. Mr. Nice Guy with the perfect peace plan. The Antichrist. Now looking at our time of sorrow and desperation, the Christians, indwell believers, will not need to worry. They won't be here. We won't be here. This is a time for fulfillment of the Gentiles, both fake Christians and blatant unbelievers. God uses the first three and a half years of the tribulation to finish and remove all those who make a claim to Jesus but are fake. The followers of Christ versus the indwelt believers of Christ. The second half of the tribulation has everything to do with Israel. Don't ever forget that. God's separating the authentic Pure bloodline Jews from the fake ones becomes absolutely top priority during the second three and a half years. God's separation process becomes a great time of sorrow and desperation for the fake Jews and, of course, the real pure bloodline Jews. Looking at the desecration of the temple... The Antichrist desecration of the Holy Temple will send the authentic pure bloodline Jews fleeing to the wilderness one last time. The exact location is not being revealed by God, probably for a good reason. But according to Daniel chapter 11 verses 40 and 41, it probably will be south of the Dead Sea, in the territory formerly occupied by Moab, Ammon, and Edom. This is right around the location of Petra. I'm not going to be so bold to say that it will be Petra where they're hiding out, but it certainly makes a great deal of historical sense. In this most hidden place, God will nourish and defend them, just as their ancestors were during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. The length of Israel stays in hiding, which is, again, 1,260 days, is three and a half years, which corresponds with the last three and a half years of the Antichrist seven-year reign of the Tribulation. The Jews who remain behind in Jerusalem will be the fake or mixed blood Jews. It also needs to be noted that those left behind will suffer the two witnesses' judgments and wrath. Through this process, the amazing truth is that all of the remaining pure bloodline Jews will be saved, converted to the indwelling life, 
of Jesus Christ. In conclusion, one of the amazing facts is that the infinite mind cannot conceive of the thought of God having all of this perfectly timed and circumstanced according to his will, even before man was conceived. Well, I think all of us can be certain that God has everything under control and nothing is going to happen that is not managed by the hand of God himself. Coming up next in number 47, we're going to be talking about the role of Michael the Archangel, the great war of the ages between God and Satan that began with Satan's rebellion is set to reach its climax. In our up-and-coming passage, John provides important background data on the war and introduced its key figures starting with the bigger-than-life figure of Michael the Archangel. Our passage will be Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 12, and it says, And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. And because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in him. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. We hope that you continue to join us as we unfold the power of prophecy stated in the book of Revelation. Again, thank you for joining us. We look forward to reconnecting with you in our next message. Until next time.